every Monday to Friday. This is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Good morning and welcome to the final day of the week. This is Peter Lewis with Money Talk for Friday the 16th of February. Thank you for listening wherever you are in the world. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group, which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. In today's business and finance headlines, Japan has unexpectedly fallen into a recession after its economy shrank for two quarters in a row. The country's GDP contracted by a worse than expected 0.4% in the last three months of 2023 compared to a year earlier. It came after the economy shrank by 3.3% in the previous quarter. And the figures from Japan's cabinet office also indicates that the country has lost its position as the world's third largest economy to Germany. And the UK economy slipped into a technical recession at the end of last year. GDP contracted by a third of a percent in the three months to December 2023. That was worse than the 0.1% contraction expected by economists and followed a 0.1% fall in output during the previous quarter. But it was the mildest start to a recession since the 1970s, with the last five recessions in the UK seeing the economy shrink by more than 1%. The world's biggest solar panel manufacturer has warned Western countries not to cut out suppliers from China. An executive from Longji Green Energy Technology said Europe and the US risked slower decarbonisation of their economies and costs would double and job opportunities would be lost if they restrict Chinese companies from their renewable energy supply chains. China dominates solar manufacturing, accounting for more than 80% of global production following decades of state support, rapid domestic demand, growth and intense local competition. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company has become the world's 12th largest company. The Taiwan Stock Exchange resumed trading on Thursday after the Chinese New Year break and the Taiex index surged over 3% to a new all-time high. It was helped by shares of TSMC, which closed at a record high after Morgan Stanley lifted the price target on chip design and NVIDIA, citing a continued surge in AI demand. TSMC, which is the world's largest producer of advanced processors, manufactures chips for companies such as NVIDIA and Apple. On today's programme, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities, and Sam Favre, CEO at Mandarin Capital, and with a view from Australia, is Toby Lawson, CEO of Staten Partners. And please do get in touch, and I'll read your questions or comments out in the show. You can post them on my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com, and I'm also on Facebook. Peter Lewis Money Talk is the page. U.S. stocks were boosted by lower bond yields on Thursday after data showed retail sales in the U.S. fell more than expected in January, easing concerns over higher for longer interest rates. The S&P 500 rose 0.6% to close at a record high of 5,030, recovering from Tuesday's wobble, which followed hotter-than-expected CPI data. The Dow traded 349 points higher, or 0.9%, to end at 38,773. The Nasdaq Composite added a third of a percent to close at 15,906. And the small cap Russell 2000 surged 2.5%. Treasury yields dipped on Thursday after US retail sales data came in weaker than expected. The 10-year yield, which moved with growth expectations, fell three basis points to 4.24%. The US dollar index dropped 0.4% to below 104.3%. 
The yen and sterling strengthened, despite both Japan and the UK entering technical recessions. The dollar fell a third of a percent against the yen to 149.98 yen per dollar. The pound rose a third of a percent to 1.2596 dollars. And spot gold broke back above $2,000. As the US dollar weakened, the precious metal ended the day 0.7% higher at $2,004 an ounce. Oil prices rallied Thursday on a weakening dollar. The Brent contract for April settled at $82.86 a barrel, sliding 1.5%. And stocks in Hong Kong rose for a second day after reopening from the Lunar New Year holidays. The Hang Seng Index climbed 65 points or 0.4% to 15,945, rebounding from an earlier loss of 0.8%. And the Tech Index added 0.8%. It was boosted as Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing notched a record market value of 575 billion US dollars, making it the twelfth, the world's 12th most valuable company. Mainland China markets remain closed until Monday for the Lunar New Year holiday, but the Hong Kong market will be open this morning and it's projected to rise around 100 points at the open, starting to trade at 16,045. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter, which you'll find at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's only two days into the working week and it's already Friday, which means we get Francis Lung with us, the CEO of Geo Securities. Morning, Francis. Good morning. And also and with us. And Happy New Year to you too. I know that's what you were yeah. about to say. <laughs> and also we have with us Sam Favreau, the Chief Executive Officer at Mandarin Capital. Happy New Year to you, Sam. Morning, Peter. Happy New Year as well. Thank you. Let's start with Japan because it's unexpectedly fallen into a recession. Its economy shrank for two quarters in a row. That's the technical definition anyway of recession. The country's GDP contracted by a worse than expected 0.4% in the last three months of 2023 compared to a year earlier. It came after the economy shrank by 3.3% in the previous quarter. Economists had expected the new data to show that Japan's GDP grew by more than 1% in the fourth quarter of last year. The figures from Japan's cabinet office also indicate that the country has lost its position as the world's third largest economy um, to Germany. France is a bit of surprise this really, isn't it? Because the market itself has obviously been doing um, very well. Uh, we had a big yeah. decline in third quarter growth. People thought that was going to rebound. Obviously not. Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised too because uh, uh, the Japanese economy is going steadily. Uh, I think part of it may be due to uh, competition from China because uh, uh, Japan lost its position as the number one uh, exporters of cars because uh, the rise of electric vehicles uh, export from China. China is now the number one uh, uh, auto exporter in the world, overtaking uh, Japan in 2023, mainly due to cheap electric vehicles. Mm. I think that would be part of the reason that uh, Japan fell into recession because auto industry accounts for a huge part of their manufacturing. 
Mm. So they're, they're really being affected by uh, the decline in, um, in China. But nevertheless, is, is it really um, a recession? Because if you look at some of the underlying um, data, it's not too bad, is it? The Tankin survey um, was showing that uh, business confidence is quite good. The labour market is pretty strong. It's not really chiming with a, a, a sort of recession. <laughs> well, on the face of it, it's better than Hong Kong. <laughs> but see. Mm. But- uh, 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 I I don't know about the figures. Maybe, maybe the figures don't don't tell the entire story because, uh, well, economists may, may may not be right with all those figures. They they've been dealing with figures all their lives. Mm. Sam, what do you, what do you make of this? Actually, I'm not completely surprised by Japan because I think there's a disconnection between the market currently, which obviously is looking at all the big caps. And the domestic situation where inflation is really starting to bite. I mean, if you look at the numbers, exports have been fairly strong. It is being also buoyed by the uh, by the yen, which is very very weak. So it's not really an export problem or a um, or an employment problem as per just the number of people, but it's a question of uh, value now passing through into the uh, domestic economy. We've had steady inflation. Um, Actually, the wages are not going up, so it's pretty clear that the Japanese currently start to feel the effect, and that's been ongoing now for you know a few a few years, and that's clearly starting to bite. And you see inflation pass through on the on the consumer goods, so that's I think where the biggest uh, problem is. And now we have a monetary situation where they are going to walk a very tight line because we are entering some kind of stagflation with uh, very little growth and inflation going up. They expected the inflation to be a driver of growth, but at this stage, uh, there definitely needs to have an adjustment. And until we see some wage uh, pickup, I think it is going to be quite tricky for Japan to move forward as a domestic economy. Mm, it's, it's tricky for the Bank of Japan, isn't it? It wants to raise interest rates, or so it says, um, but the economy is in a recession. And this is going to increase, obviously, the financing costs for the, uh, for the Ministry of Finance, which is going to make things worse. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think they really have the choice because they have to control the money supply. And they, they, I mean, they already intervened on the yen yesterday and the yen has resumed its light. So, and that's not clearly inflation, you know, creating inflation. So they cannot afford to get into this vicious circle. Mm. I think if anything, they're probably being too late and starting to raise the, uh, to raise the yen. They had a much more uh, leverage if they had uh, started to do this, I would say, 12 to 18 months ago. So do you think they've missed the boat? As you say, they, they did have a window of opportunity, didn't they? But they wanted to be cautious. They didn't want to get caught out again where they raised rates too soon. And, and now maybe they're in, a, they're in a hole. I think most of the central banks actually missed the boat because if you see uh, the inflation numbers across the world, they're actually much more resilient than uh, uh, what the central banks expected. So even if you look at the US, you have very steady CPI versus uh, versus domestic figures uh, dropping as well. So what we're seeing in Japan is not uh, is not unique. And even if well, I guess we're going to talk about the UK numbers, it's fairly similar as well. So this situation is global with very, very steady inflation numbers, which are above expectations. And the economy is starting to slow down because of the multiple effects, but one being the rates going up. Mm. But you still have to control this inflation. That's so the role of the central banks. Francis, what does the Bank of Japan do here? It's it's um, this is a bit of a, a difficult situation for it, isn't it? Yeah, it's in the country now uh, because of the uh, slowdown in the economy. They cannot afford 
to raise interest rates now. Uh, and Japan is the last country in the world that have a negative interest, zero interest rate. And uh, I think uh, it will limit the central bank's uh, uh, choices uh, ahead. I think they will probably have to uh, uh, leave interest rate as they are. And uh, I don't, uh, with uh, e economic growth uh, uh, falling, I think uh, they can ill afford to raise interest rate now. They, they, they just cannot do it. <laughs> there, there's a common theme, I think, as Sam's touched on it, developing here, because we've had three countries yesterday which have come up with uh, economic growth numbers, Japan, the UK, and Singapore. Similar story in all three, um, as we've just seen in Japan. <laughs> The, uh, the GDP's contracted, fallen into a recession, but inflation's above target. Same thing in the UK. The UK is now in a technical recession as well, but inflation also above target. In Singapore, they're not in recession, uh, but the economy did miss expectations quite, uh, quite considerably, and they had to revise down very sharply their third quarter GDP uh, growth rates as well. Are, are we seeing maybe... Um, something here develop in the fact that perhaps all these interest rate rises that we've been seeing over the past couple of years, uh, they're now starting to hit the mark. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, in Hong Kong it's definitely true because it it really depressed the uh, the property market. I think uh, after the Federal Reserve raised uh, uh, interest rates 11 times, during the past two years, and, and uh, some countries are, fall, are falling into recession. I think the U.S. Uh, Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, should take the lead now in the cutting interest rate. That will ease the pressure on the other central bankers like uh, Japan and U.K. and uh, even China, I think. Uh, China has to lower rates to boost economic growth. But on the other hand, the uh, uh, renminbi exchange rates fell versus the U.S. dollar bringing in inflation. So mm. I think uh, uh, the U.S. should take the lead now because uh, it took the lead in the fight the inflation in the past two years. But it's got a bit of a problem it's itself. Interest rate. Has, hasn't the Fed got a bit of a problem itself? Because the data is showing there uh, that inflation is is quite sticky at the moment. It's hanging around this 3% level, isn't it? So if you look at the last five or six months worth of inflation data, it, it's not really mm. moving. Yeah, well, I think, I think they have to change the parameter a little bit. I think they will have to live with uh, maybe 3% inflation. And then, but lower interest rate because everything is uh, really uh, liquid. You can, you as a central banker, you can, you can, you can change uh, your, uh, every, anything you you wish, as mm. long as the economy and the inflation does not get out of hand. Are, are we seeing, um, Sam, do you think maybe some sort of synchronized slowdown here? We, the, the GDP figures that we had out from yesterday, certainly for Japan and the UK, um, suggesting um, growth in a, in a recession in the US, obviously not in a recession, but the retail sales figures, the industrial production figures overnight disappointed. I think clearly that's what we're seeing. And I would disagree with Francis on the fact that we should reduce rates because the role of a central bank is controlling money supply and give the accurate environment to have steady growth. Now, I think we're back in a situation very close to the end of the 80s when you had an inflation shock and 
when you look retrospectively, what happens is, yes, they break the brakes 11 times, but they haven't raised it fast enough and hard enough. Mm. So you have now this expectation, which have stabilized above equilibrium. That's what the central banks wanted. And now they're going to have a real fight to bring it into, back into the, the level they want. So now it's time to decouple the monetary policy and from the from the fiscal policy, for instance, there's a lot of other ways to stimulate an economy than just monetary policy. And I think the real issue now for central banks, and when you see everywhere in the world, all the um, all the all the employees are suffering. They need to have the middle class back in check, and making sure we have wage growth and everything back in check. So, for me, the central banks now are really in a big situation where they really have to go back to their initial mandate, which is control inflation and money supply. You cannot stimulate growth and start lowering rates when you still have inflation expectations, which are barely stable on the verge of going back up. Mm-hmm. So now we need to have co- coordinated policies, but not only monetary, but you have to have fiscal policies, uh, which is unlikely to happen because, you know, with elections coming up, you're probably going to see more and more uh, potential tariffs and uh, blockage. So uh, you have a lot of issues going forward. Mm. It's, it's an interesting point you make about the middle class, how they're suffering here. I mean, if you look in the UK, um, actually the GDP per capita figures are, are even worse than the GDP figures. The the Office for National Statistics said GDP per head fell 0.7% last year. That's the first contraction since the financial crisis, apart from 2020 when we had all the pandemic uh, restrictions in place. So people are really noticing this, aren't they? That's what the figure that figure is suggesting. And if you look at inflation-adjusted wages, I think you see globally that the last two years, there's been an erosion of, uh, of purchasing powers by consumers across the world. So, And certainly in Japan, it's the same situation. Mm-hmm. So there is really a big problem on inflation. And as soon as you haven't, and as soon as the general consumer doesn't feel it's back in check, you are going to have issues of people consuming, you have people investing. I think it's crucial you bring this, uh, you bring this inflation number back into a normal level. Right. And they've been too slow to do it. That's my uh, feeling. Mm. And what about in the Eurozone? Um, similar situation there? I mean, the Eurozone is not very uh, homogeneous. Uh, there's very uh, a lot of disparities between the countries. But I think, yes, it's very, very similar. Uh, you still have inflation, which is most in most countries above target. And you see that everywhere. There you have strikes in most of the countries. I mean, just looking at France, because I'm, obviously I'm French, uh, you had farmers in the street. At the moment, you have the train drivers in the streets. Um, you have in the UK massive strikes. So clearly, there's a problem uh, around the middle class. And that's mm. your, your drivers of the, uh, of the consumption, your domestic economies. Mm. And same in Hong Kong, as a matter of fact. Francis, what does this mean for markets? Recessions don't necessarily mean poor markets, do they? Poor stock markets. I mean, well, look at Japan. I mean, uh, technically it's in a recession, but it's very close to to regain its all-time high that it reached back in 1989. The UK economy is in recession, but the market's uh, going up as well. Yeah, there's a there's a disconnect here. I don't, uh, I I really don't quite understand that the Japanese market soared to all time high. You know, it it doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, uh, for India, you say it's an emerging economy and it's growing, uh, outstripping uh, China, outpacing China and other countries, but. Uh, China is still growing at five percent, but the but but the but the stock market is mired into uh, well, fi- uh, 
the low level for years already. Hong Kong fell for four consecutive years, and <laughs> and and but it, it, you look at in the U.S. stock markets soared to all time high, almost daily, mm. and. And that's because they have a new technology to play with uh, artificial intelligence, and that drove up the market. Yeah, I mean, I presume in Japan the yen has something to do with the outperformance of the stock market there. That's helping uh, boost yeah. uh, stock prices. Well, yeah, I, I, th- I think everything is actually quite in line because you have had inflations going out, so profit also inflation going at all these companies. And effectively, you had the cost, which has been remaining stable. So everything going up to the shareholders has been going up. So mm-hmm. it doesn't mean that because you're in deflation and you start my money not go up, if your profits expectation go up. So if you keep your salary stable, even if your profits go up, your market will go up. And it's exactly what we see. Mm-hmm. Now, for Hong Kong and China, the problem is not the growth. The problem is how much is passed to the shareholder. And given all the police intervention, there is, I think, very little confidence at the moment that even if you invest, your profit will be returned to shareholders at some point. So you can have massive, massive growth, but until that growth profits to the shareholders, there's no reason for your stock price to go up. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, you're facing uh, uh, as a problem in Hong Kong and China. And that's why people will not invest in, uh, in, in those markets for the time being until they're confident that if you invest money, your profit goes back to you. And, and by contrast, we have the Japanese authorities doing their best to try and uh, get companies to boost shareholder returns. We have this name and shame list, don't we, that the Tokyo Stock Exchange is now running. <laughs> and yeah, that- so I think it's really depending on market structure, this, this performance. And I agree, there's a yen effect. I mean, if you adjust the, 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 Japanese, the Japanese performance for FX, yeah, it's good performance, but it's not that spectacular in, in US dollar terms. Hmm. And what about in the United States? Uh, inflation's come in there higher than expected. It's it's still coming down, but just not coming down as fast as um, as as investors were hoping. Um, have markets got to reprice expectations there because they've really been beating up the Fed, haven't they, to get on with it and start cutting rates, saying that they're too slow. But then we get this inflation data, which shows really that um, inflation is now sort of hovering around three percent and doesn't really want to get back down to that 2% um, target. So if that is the case, um, and we see more data suggesting that, um, markets have got to reassess, haven't they, and and reprice their expectations for for rate cuts. So are we going to get more wobbles like the one we saw on Tuesday earlier this week? Uh, uh, Definitely. I think uh, one of the reasons that inflation failed to uh, fall as much as people had hoped is really the, the cost of housing. Mm. I think uh, because of illegal immigration, uh, there is a shortage of affordable housing in the U.S. And uh, that is a big uh, component of the uh, consumer price index. And uh, if rents don't fall, I think it's difficult for the uh, CPI, consumer price index, to fall. If you look at the core core CPI, PCE, Actually, rent accounts for a really big chunk of it, mm-hmm. and uh, so, so, so maybe I, I, I think just the the Federal Reserve should just change the parameter. They should over two percent inflation. Maybe they should tolerate a three percent inflation, taking into account the high cost of housing 
in the US. Mm. But presumably, if you start saying you're going to tolerate 3% inflation, then you end up with it at 4%. And, um, and so it goes on. <laughs> well, uh, not, not, nothing is sacred forever. Mm. Um, Sam, what do you make of the of the markets? We had this wobble, didn't we, on Tuesday after that US CPI um, data. Have have markets got to really start pricing in for the fact that inflation is now sticky around these uh, around these levels? I think the market is pricing the best case scenario at the moment, which is inflation going back into check, uh, no shocks to the market and uh, cut off the interest rates. So if anything, uh, I think they we up for potential disappointment. So yes, I think the market price of risk at the moment is very low, and uh, the potential it's on the downside. And I agree. I mean, I agree with France, but I don't see why they should reduce the target. But it's all, it's pretty clear that the inflation is very steep in the US. So, and again, the mandate of the Fed is first and foremost uh, to control to control that number before stimulating growth. So, I think the market is a bit ahead of itself at the moment. Mm. I mean, it's it's repriced a little bit, hasn't it? But I mean, it was pricing in at one stage, almost six rate cuts uh, this year. That's now come down to um, below sort of, uh, well, maybe around four, but maybe that's still too aggressive. I mean, if you look at the growth numbers and you look at the inflation numbers, if you are the Fed, you really got rates at the moment. Mm. I don't see the reason. I mean, employment is okay. Uh Everything seems to be okay on the economy. Growth is there. So they clearly have time to see, and there's no reason to rush on a rate cut. From what I can see, there's... Mm. Francis, let me ask you about the Hong Kong markets then. We're now two yep. days into the uh, into the new year. We've kicked off okay, haven't we, the last sort of couple of days yeah. or so. But have we broken this long-term downtrend that we've been in at all, or are we still um, in, in very dangerous territory? <laughs> Well, it all depends on Alibaba. Uh, I think uh, last week on the February 6th, the market surged more than 600 points because it was revealed that uh, 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 Mr. Ma uh, increased his stake in Alibaba and uh, Mr. Chai also. And yesterday, we got the news that the Canada Pension Fund uh, bought in the uh, open market shares of Alibaba, uh, Baidu, and JD. And these shares rose to lift the market from loss to gain. Uh, I think uh, uh, the, 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 tech, the big tax will determine the direction of the stock market right now. I think if, if the uh, overseas institutions uh, believe that the uh, valuations of uh, Chinese stocks are really low enough and now it's really the time to buy at the bottom, mm. then I think we could see a rally. Maybe we, we, could, we could see 18,000 in the not, not, not too distant future. Do the, does the buying by these in, individual, but maybe significant shareholders, I suppose, um, you know, Jack Ma mm. and, you know, some of the big funds have been invested in Japan, but is that going to be enough, other than maybe a short-term bounce, sentiment-based bounce, is it going to be enough uh, to really reverse the market trend and change the overall fundamentals? I, I, I think one of the key, uh, uh, I think the, one of the, 
uh, key conditions we are looking for is really the easing of government uh, 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 supervision. I think the easing of uh, government control. Mm. And I think the uh, Chinese government should just let the big tech companies doing what they want uh, rather than intervene. Uh, they they should not intervene so much. To try to uh, micromanage everything. They should not. I think uh, uh, after all, they haven't been too successful uh, since twenty twenty one. So I think it is time for the government to is to take a step backward mm-hmm. uh, and and let the companies run themselves. Sam, do you think that's likely to happen, though? I mean, the latest thing we're hearing from Beijing is that um, in order to try and stabilise the property market, they want to really move back to a very socialist system where it's the government that provides housing rather than private uh, developers. If anything, that suggests maybe more intervention. That's what I would think. I mean, if you look at the track record over the last 10 years, we haven't seen really a pragmatic approach to the market, but an ideological approach to the market. So, I, I completely agree with Francis. If there was like a liberalization of those companies and let them be the drivers, because there was a time that all these companies were the leaders, the technological leaders, but they, lo- they lost that technology leadership. Mm. Uh, you would see a profound bounce and uh, assuming market investment, market confidence, uh, investors' confidence is back. Now, uh, whether we will see some deregulation in the Chinese market, I generally don't think so. Uh, and nothing points to that anyway. And if anything, we've seen more intervention. Even when you're talking about funds buying and everything, it's more intervention and the, the state being more involved. So um, I think it will be a trading market because the valuations for sure are very low. So people will play around. Whether you can have a sustainable long-term market as an investment, it's a completely different story. You need profound uh, reform. And people buying those reforms as uh, as policies, which to me is is the long is a long way. Mm. It's sort of in the DNA of the current government in Beijing, isn't it? To meddle in the markets, to to try and intervene in private businesses, they just can't seem to help themselves. Well, this is this is why I think you will see long term underperformance for this market because. For market uh, shares to go up, you need the money to go to the shareholder. And that's not the ideology of uh, what's happening uh, with the um, the people in Beijing. They want, they want first and foremost to control the economy to serve the state, not the shareholders. So somewhere it's not going to, it's, it's not matching. Mm. So that's why I think the, uh, it's going to be very difficult for these markets to perform over the long term or, or, or um, you know, overperform like a US market. Mm-hmm. For the long term. So we're not likely to see a Japan-style overhaul of trying to boost shareholder returns and making the shareholders more um, important, giving them dividends or doing share buybacks. That That's not really on the cards, is it? Historically, China has made lots of changes, so you can never say never. They may decide to change back. I mean, look at what happened in the uh, end of the 70s. They went from completely socialist country to open the market. So who knows? But I think at this stage, it doesn't feel like it's on the agenda. Mm-hmm. Mm. Francis, a company that's worth watching at the moment, not a not a Hong Kong-based one, but uh, over in Taiwan, Taiwan Semiconductor, TSMC, oh, yeah. at an all-time high now. It's really benefiting, isn't it, from this surge um, in AI demand. Yeah. It's now the world's 12th largest company. That presumably is having a knock-on effect on other sort of technology stocks around the region. 
Yeah, definitely. I think uh, Taiwan Semiconductor, TSMC, is really the uh, crown jewel of uh, uh, Taiwanese uh, tech uh, companies. Uh, it was set up by Mr. Jiang and uh, several other uh, returning expatriates, and they, they, they managed to establish the biggest and the, the best uh, foundry in the world and the techno and technology technologically they are the most advanced in the world they are beating the japanese and the uh, americans at their own game so i think uh, 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 this shows that anybody can excel <laughs> as something if they are good at it it's like uh, uh, asml being the number one company in their field in the image pro processing. So uh, you have a division of labor in the semiconductor uh, world and uh, each country is doing a, a different thing, a separate thing. And, uh, and and we are all dependent on each other. <laughs> mm. Is it going to have a knock-on effect in terms of other technology stocks listed here in Hong Kong? Well, I think it will be mostly on Taiwanese stocks, but certainly not on the semiconductor companies listed in Hong Kong, like SMIC and Wahong Semiconductor, because they, uh, you have the American embargo on advanced equipments. The the Amer American strategy is keep is to keep Chinese semiconductor industry uh, three generations behind the U.S. So it's, so it's, it's like at least 10 years behind. Mm -hmm. so, so I don't think uh, SMIC and, and others uh, in China will benefit from this. Mm. Sam, if you look at TSMC, it's sort of almost joined at the hip with NVIDIA, isn't it? The, the two's fortunes seem to go hand in hand. Oh yeah, I mean TSMC. I think Francis said it all. They they're the best. Uh, they're at least one or two generations ahead of everybody, and they have a huge perspective. Whether it's AI, whether it's IoT, and they have uh, lots of potential developments ahead of them. So I think it's uh, it's it's obviously the twelfth company in the world, but it has a lot of margin to even go higher. And uh, yeah, we'll go and handle uh, Nvidia, but there are lots of lots of other sectors where they can also uh, get involved. So it looks very, very, very uh, good for TSMC. Mm. Let me ask you both finally: what What do you make of the MSCI reweighting that's going to take place at the end of the month? Going to reduce <laughs> the amount of China shares in the MSCI Global Index? A large number of Chinese stocks being removed yeah. from the index. What's the effect of that going to be? Well, it will depress Hong Kong and China market even more because of the relentless fall in uh, these two markets. The valuation of these shares have gone down, uh, crashed down through the bottom. I think uh, it is only natural that, that they take out the smallest companies. So it will be bad for China and Hong Kong market. Sam, final word to you. Yeah, I mean, short term, clearly, you will have the rebalancing. It's bad, uh, but it might be the fact of at least now, you know, things are going to be off the radar. So, by the rumors, sell the fact, or in this this uh, this thing might actually be the see the bottom of the market. You never know. This false selling will be done on this side for the passive funds. 
Okay, well, thank you both very much indeed. Have a great weekend. You heard there Sam Favre, who is the Chief Executive Officer at Mandarin Capital. Francis Lun, who is the CEO of GEO Securities. I'm joined now by Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. Morning, Toby. Good morning, Peter. Um, Lots of economic data out uh, yesterday. Let's start in Australia because uh, some disappointing employment numbers, weren't they? A number of uh, people employed rose by just 500 in January. And economists were expecting 30,000. And the unemployment rate rose to 4.1% from 3.9%. That's the highest rate now since January 2022. Is this signalling maybe uh, the impact of higher interest rates? Yeah, I think uh, the the data to, you know, at least the headline figure of 4.1% is the one that uh, got all the attention. So the net change in jobs of 500 um, versus 30,000 sort of got less attention because it was an improvement on the minus 62 of the previous month. Um, but uh, with uh, unemployment going up from 3.9% to 4.1%, that really drew the headlines and really sort of started to zoom in on the idea that the economy may be slowing enough for the Reserve Bank to pivot on interest rates. Um, But, um, you know, at 4.1%, it's still a pretty good labour market uh, historically. Uh, So we'll watch the trend over the next coming months. But there is some signs that the labour market is softening, that's for sure. Mm. I'm wondering if we're seeing a bit of a global um, phenomenon here because we've had um, uh, economic data or GDP data from three countries last night, from Japan, the UK and Singapore. Japan and the UK both slipped into technical recessions. Singapore, not in a recession, but growth has slowed. And in particular, they had to revise down sharply uh, third quarter um, growth. Are, Are we starting? to see here maybe the global um, impact and a, and a similar story um, across a number of countries? I think it's a reasonable thesis um, to suggest that we're finally getting the evidence of what interest rates do to economic growth uh, and economic activity. Uh, and it's been, you know, the US has been a bit of a, an outlier in terms of its economic performance and the countries in behind it, you know, Japan being going from the third largest economy to the fourth largest economy most recently, and overtaken by Germany, who's also in probably a technical recession. So if you look at the economies behind the United States, China, uh, Germany, uh, Japan, the UK, all of them are struggling. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting phenomenon, and the UK in particular probably that slipped into recession um, technically with a 0.3 decline, Japan with a 0.4 decline. Um, you know, it's not it's not dramatic, but it reflects clearly that the US is the real outlier. Um, and so when we start to look at the idea that um, everything's fine because we, we tend to benchmark the US, it's actually only the US that tends to be uh, performing pretty well. Mm. And also- the big economies. And- and on the inflation picture as well, it's similar again as well, isn't it? We've got inflation in the UK well above target. Inflation in Japan has been above target uh, for, for quite a while now. So um, we, we seem to be getting this sense. And even if you look at there at the US um, inflation data, we seem to be getting a sense over the last four or five months that it's become rather sticky um, around the 3% level. Well, yeah, I always use the analogy, if you've ever had the opportunity of renovating a house, you know, um, you see the first part of any change is quite dramatic. So when you see, you know, in a buy line, it, but it's the last 5 or 6% or even 10% of that work becomes slow and sticky and never seems to end. Mm. I feel like the journey on inflation is similar. You know, you can, you know, the headline inflation went high, 
came back aggressively with the interest rate hikes that came in. But since the, you know, since probably six months ago, that's nothing's really moved and it's become really sticky and it's hard to get that last bit done. And so I think investors are starting to realize, look, the, uh, the imminent rate cuts um, that, uh, you know, uh, may or may not have been, you know, priced in, you know, probably aren't going to happen. And the US probably, if one economy um, is unlikely to move quickly, is there because the economy is going well. Inflation's holding it to was it three point nine? I think it got during mm. the week was one of their figures. Yep. Uh, versus three point seven, so uh, I wouldn't be looking at the US necessarily be the first ones to have to cut rates. It may in fact be the other economies that are in a little bit more strife, but their inflation rates are still well above target as well. Mm. And and of course the um, presumably the, the market isn't prepared for inflation um, hovering around 3%, is it? They've been pricing in that, uh, you know, it's it's coming down. Um, the Fed needs to get a move on. It needs to start cutting rates and starts doing it soon. That's been their base uh, sort of case, except then when we get the inflation data like we had this week, um, it doesn't really fit with that scenario. Well, it's interesting how the market reacted very sharply mm. um, to the inflation data in the US, but has since recovered quite quickly. Um, but it, it tells me, I think, you know, having a look at the, the trading activity and the way in which the market's trading last few days is running out of steam in terms of trying to find reasons to keep its momentum. Um, and the market was trying to play a win-win scenario. Um, economy slowing, we get interest rate cuts, equities rally, um, interest rates stay where they are, economy is going well, equities rally. <laughs> and I just don't see that you can have those two scenarios playing out. Mm. And so I suspect that um, at some point, investors are just going to start to lose a little bit of confidence around um, the momentum in equities, notwithstanding that I think it's probably due a correction. I wouldn't say the market's uh, a good sell, but it'd probably be, be nice to see a bit of a correction to, to reestablish a sort of better time, better trend line. And um, I think at the moment, the market's a little bit deluded about the outcomes that they can see um, and, and which they posit into a sort of Goldilocks scenario. I think that's probably becoming less likely. So it sounds like you think there could be some more days like Tuesday where we had a big wobble um, in the market. As you said, it's, it's regained that over the we've last had, couple of days, but maybe more. Yeah, of them we've had table. a couple of wobbles. I think we saw even it was it a week or so ago, we saw another wobble mm. uh, in equity markets. So, yeah, I think we'll see more wobbles. I don't think we'll see a collapse or I think, you know, but uh, I suspect the market's getting to that point where it's a bit people are rushing for the exit. Um when they see bad news a bit quicker than they had, um, there's you know seems to be less and less confidence that they can ignore bad data. Are we seeing then this short vol trade that we saw um, a couple of years ago? Is that uh, exacerbating things? You know that, that people are taking these big positions in in short volatility, and that's making uh, the, these wobbles worse. We saw that back in two thousand and eighteen. Yes, short vol trades are selling hurricane insurance. You know. Um, <laughs> It's all well and good until a hurricane hits. Mm. Um, so short vols are, you know, it, it, it's for the it's for the professionals, I'd say. So uh, if listeners out there think short vols are a good strategy to get into, be careful. <laughs> um, it can work very well, but it can be very very painful. Um, yeah, I think in in that scenario, I think the market probably underestimates. And, and the one thing I would say, uh, in in defence of the market and the potential for more upside is that there's still a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines mm. in mutual funds, uh, sorry, in money market funds, should I say, in the US. That the estimate's like $6 trillion USD um, that's available that hasn't been put into risk uh, at this point in time. So 
it's one of those things in the back of my mind that thinks, well, yeah, um, the market hasn't fully engaged on the upside, to, you know, in terms of investing in the equity market. There's still a lot of cash available. So it could actually flip the other way where we all expect the big correction. We all see the news starting to come out. And actually, um, you know, the market just plows on because, um, you know, uh, there's so much cash still looking to buy in on any little dip. And that may be the, you know, the behaviour we saw in the last two days when we saw the you know the market drop sharply and then recover very quickly, it suggests that there's a lot of cash still to deploy. So we might not get quite the big moves that uh, or the extended moves down that uh, maybe some are hoping for. I'm wondering where that cash is going to go because um, if you look at the Bank of America survey, there's some very very crowded trades out there, aren't there? In particular, um, the the biggest crowd, overcrowded trade maybe is long all these uh, technology stocks, the mega cap tech stocks, and then the second most crowded trade, according to the Bank of America fund management survey, is short uh, Chinese stocks. It, it sort of almost makes you want to be a little bit tempted to take the other side of that, doesn't it? Well, yeah, you, I think you like to be a contrarian, Pete, and I, I think uh, those, yeah, um, it's probably not a bad thing. Um, as I said, I wouldn't take the core position against the market. You know, never take on the market. I think you can always have a position against the market, but I, to think that you're right against the market, I think is um, is often a, a fraught strategy. Um, timing wise, is important in these type of moves, but yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad trade if you if you take a piece of it uh, against what the trend is right now, but. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be banking on it. I think that the reality is that there is a lot of money washing around um, that has to be put somewhere. So crowded trades can become more crowded than even we think. And so you know, uh, they you know, you think well, they're too crowded, they're no good. They're just becoming more and more crowded, and that may be the way the market trades, and people are happy to hold them. So to bet against that um, sort of makes sense logically, but can be quite painful. Mm. And, and what for these markets that have slipped into recession, Japan, the, the UK, what does that mean for, for their markets? It doesn't necessarily mean a bear market, does it? Because, well, certainly in Japan's case, we're pretty close now to regaining that uh, December 1989 all-time high. And the UK market's still going up, even though it's technically in a recession. Yeah, I think it can bubble along, no problem. As long as I think employment um, doesn't become... I think the, the the big bellwether in terms of sentiment and where things dislocate heavily is when employment starts to, to turn over and soften particularly. And I think labour markets, even in those countries that are, uh, have recessions, are not that soft. They're still reasonably tight and um, there's no major, you know, and there's no real credit crunch at the moment. There's no, you know, there's no major defaults, um, no major uh, job losses. I think if we start to see some of that come through, then that's when you start to see uh, equity markets really start to turn. And is there a risk that we're going to see the impact of China um, increase on the rest of the world, the slowdown there, the, the decline in the property sector, the, the lack of consumer confidence, the deflation that they're going through, that this is going to start to become increasingly a drag on the global economy? I think the deflationary impact of China's, um, I mean, the export, the export of deflation from China is is overstated in terms of its impact at this stage. I think overall, um, I suspect that the Chinese authorities have plenty of weaponry to to stimulate. But um, I think it's in the same. It's probably got some structural headwinds now, and we just don't know enough to know whether there are going to be more large corporate failures in the property sector. Um, that would mean that the you know the the Chinese economy continues to drag. 
Um, the deflationary impact of it around the world is probably not a bad thing in, in one sense, but it has has less impact than we think mm. in terms of overall inflation. So, um, yeah, it's a concern. I mean, it's, you know, it's the second largest economy in the world, but um, I suspect that the, the authorities have some pretty powerful uh, weapons to throw at it if they need to. It's just a question of whether they're actually going to deploy them. They've been rather reluctant so far. Exactly, and, and, and that we just don't have a read on, uh, at least from where I sit here. Yeah. Okay, Toby. Well, thank you very much indeed. Great to talk to you. Have a good weekend. That's Toby Lawson, who is the CEO of Staten Partners down in Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk. Thank you very much for listening this morning and this week. Don't forget to take a look at my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll have more business and finance updates for you on Monday. Joining me then are Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Louis Kaus, Chief Asia Economist at s Global Ratings and providing a view for mainland China will be Shanghai-based independent economist Andy Sher. Have a great weekend. Money Talk.